There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. This is our grand two-part Avengers special. I am Eduardo, and I have assembled my own team of angelic Avengers (laughs) to come with me on this journey through one of the best movies in all of the MCU. First, hailing from Peach City where he rides <laughs> on his Peach sports car. I didn't come up with a good name for the sports car. But <laughs> it's Peaches. Peaches, what's up, man? <laughs> I'm sorry. I try so hard to keep quiet when you do the intro, and I, like, three times couldn't hold it in. Hi. Hello. I, for- I forgot before the show I needed to think of an alliteration. Yeah. So I had to, That's I had where to take our power comes from. If you don't alliterate, we, we have no powers. We, we're powerless here. Don't worry, any of the nonsense can be cleaned up thanks to our very own Sound Lord, who is with us here today. Chris, what's up, buddy? Don't hate, alliterate. (laughs) (laughs) That's not alliteration, that's rhyming. Oh, rhyming is fun, too. You haven't been introduced yet. (laughs) What's that I hear? Is that Robbie, resident writer for all things Assembly Required, as well as Squad Up? For now, it is. (laughs) (laughs) we're like i guess we're high doing this episode is that what happened (laughs) wait you guys aren't all in colorado assembly required does not condone the use of uh, illegal marijuana nope illegal use of marijuana strike that reverse it we're we're good start the show where are they taking the drugs (laughs) start the show (laughs) where are the other drugs going where are the other drugs going (sighs) Okay, well, now that we've gotten very far off the rails, welcome Wow, we haven't to Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, a show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. Peach by peach. Peach by peach. <laughs> day by day, peach by peach. I love I'm you sorry. guys. <laughs> we love you too. And we're talking about the Avengers. The, we anticipate this is going to be a, a content packed show because we're going to have a lot of feelings a lot to talk about there's a lot to go over in this movie because so much happens there are so many characters there's just so much going on so we've decided there's going to be two episodes of this you're going to get double the content for this you're going to get double the shows you're going to get one this week and one next week whenever you're hearing this wow i know isn't (laughs) it crazy but first let's 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 rewind it back and say thank you because we're reaching the end of phase one, and I want to say thank you to every single person who has listened to this podcast so far. We appreciate it so much. We work <laughs> really hard on this show to put it out there, and it's we really appreciate anybody who takes the time to listen. So if you're listening to the show, thank you. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. We want to talk about the Avengers. But before there was a movie, there was the comic book. Now, Robbie... 
as our resident writer, you've done a lot of research into the Avengers. And I think out of all of us, you've read the most Avengers comic books. So take us a little bit through the publication of the Avengers and, and where the Avengers kind of got their start. Yeah, actually, to prep for this episode, I went back and read a bunch of the old Avengers. And let me tell you, they don't age that well. But the Avengers are still really cool. Um, and honestly, the creation of this film uh, really kind of uh, uh, mirrors the creation of the comic or, or, or I guess streamlines with the creation of the comic just perfectly because Jack Kirby and Stan Lee made a whole bunch of characters in the very fertile early 60s between 1962 and 1963. They made the Hulk and they made Thor and they made uh, Iron Man and they made all these characters just like we, you know, Marvel Studios made all these films. And then they said, well, let's put them together and make a, a mega comic of all these heroes together. So in 1963, um, they assembled the Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, into their own comic book. Um, the initial roster was Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. Um, and the, the original plot was Loki was trying to bait Thor into a fight. And to do so, he pretended to be the Hulk or, or projected the image of the Hulk rampaging across the Southwest. Um, and a distress call called the other heroes and they got together and they stopped Loki. Um, and then they decided, hey, that was so fun. Let's start our own superhero squad. Um, in issue four... Uh, they discovered Captain America's frozen body and thawed it out and asked him to be to join the Avengers and basically made him their leader. Um, and then the roster just kept expanding from there. Uh, most notable for this episode is in issue 16. Um, the Avengers temporarily resigned um, and they were replaced by former villains Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Quicksilver. Um, and the, they, the three of them stuck around as the Avengers reassembled. Um, and, of course, two of them are in this film, and one of them would bring his sister along as well, uh, his sister Scarlet Witch later, who was also an X-Men. Um, the Avengers has run ever since. Um, it's always been a very popular uh, publication for Marvel. It's had several reboots, but it's always had an ongoing since September 1963. Um, and they've always kind of been there on the fringes of any any Marvel comic always has the Avengers looming as a shadow in within their universe. Uh, they are where the best and the brightest heroes are assembled together uh, to kind of protect the globe. Um, and we're a very, very big part of any sort of Marvel entertainment uh, long before the movie was made. Video games, uh, books, cartoons. Um, they had lots and lots of forms uh, before we finally got this Avengers film, which uh, Peach is going to tell us about the production of the film. I am going to do that, but I just want to say really quickly that I did not know that Hawkeye was a villain. I knew that Black Widow and Quicksilver started as villains. I did not know that Hawkeye did. So that's interesting. Yes, he was a KGB agent. Oh. And Black Widow Black Br Widow brought him on. Okay, their friendship now makes a lot more sense to me. Yes, that that was not just an invention for the film. The Black Widow-Hawkeye dynamic um, existed in the comics as well. Wow. I'm excited about that. Okay, so as far as the film goes, we're just going to do a little bit of information on the film release because we have a lot of content to get to. So in 2005, when Marvel Studios started getting the funding to do all of these films, the, the Avengers shared universe style film was already a part of this plan, right? So we, we knew, I'm doing air quotes right now, that we were building up to this Avengers movie. Now, I kind of feel bad for Zach Penn, right? Because he was the writer for Incredible Hulk who kind of got overwritten by um, Edward Norton. And then he was also initially writing the script for this movie. And then Joss Whedon was like, eh, no. <laughs> and he decided that he was going to write rewrite the script, script basically from scratch. So 
he Joss wrote it. Zach tried to write it. Poor Zach Penn. Um, now, as Robbie already said, the original Avengers in the comics were Ant-Man, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and Wasp. And you know that we get three of those in this movie. Ant-Man and Wasp, Wasp didn't make the cut. Joss actually had Wasp at points in the original story. He also had apparently the son of Obadiah Stane, who is Ezekiel Stane. He takes on the Ironmonger after his dad. What? D- did he become a good guy? <laughs> Robbie, fill me in on this. I have literally never read anything with Ezekiel Stane in he my life. He was going to be I, another I, villain. Because okay. he, because No, yes, in this movie he was going to be a villain. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was going to join. So there was actually a concern that Loki wouldn't be enough to stand up against the Avengers. And so they thought, well, we need another villain. And it was going to be Ezekiel Stane. Oh, well, that's silly. Okay. I, I don't actually know anything about the film release. Okay, guys? I'm just asking questions during it. Kidding. <laughs> Originally, Whedon was going to leave out the side characters. We weren't going to see a lot of side characters. Um, but actually, Robert Downey Jr. decided to insist that Gwyneth Paltrow was signed on. So we probably got a few more side characters out of that. I assume he probably just wanted to have the big six and the villain and maybe Fury possibly by himself. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but as you probably know, Avengers did really, really, really well. Um, it was released April 2012. It grossed $1.5 billion. It was the highest grossing film of 2012, both domestically and internationally. It uh, earned 200 million, over 200 million in the first weekend, it, which is the highest grossing opening weekend ever, the third highest grossing film ever, the highest grossing Walt Disney Studios film ever, and the highest grossing superhero film ever, which makes it in our book mildly successful. So there you go. <laughs> and that's still amazing to me. <laughs> that's it's still, it's still mind blowing to me that they finally made an Avengers film and it was, and everyone loved and it. And it worked and it, it still holds up. It blows my mind that I think that up until this point, everyone knew about the Justice League and barely anyone knew about the Avengers. And if you had right. gone back in time and said to someone, oh, yeah. Hey, we're, I, I, I remember like when they announced Batman versus Superman and and when Justice League came out and just tell, going back in time and telling someone, hey, I don't remember doing this, but hypothetically <laughs> saying if you went back in time and said, told them, hey, you know, there's going to be a Batman for a Superman movie. They'd be like, oh, wow, that's cool. And you're going to say, yeah, but it's nowhere near as good or successful as the Avengers movie and have them just stare at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and honestly, not to sidetrack too much, but one of the funny things about the Avengers, the Justice League is Marvel, uh, is, sorry, is DC's A-list heroes. In a lot of ways, um, over the years, the Avengers has become kind of like, well, this person can't carry their own comics. Shove them in the Avengers. And so, like, that that has become a big iconic franchise that's just it's mind-blowing we get like at this point it's just commonplace but yeah, like now, in hindsight it's mind-blowing now it's like a big deal if a character becomes an avenger in the comics you know what though if you're only half paying attention in like the mid-2000s whatever and you go oh wow dark knight was the best superhero movie i've ever seen you probably think that the combined dc universe is going to end up being great until you realize it has nothing to do with that trilogy. So if you're only half paying attention, maybe it seems better on paper. I think there also is a, a case to be made that the Justice League animated series as well as Justice League Unlimited are both like 
fantastic shows and there's probably a lot of people that grew up watching those shows so they probably had a little bit more exposure to justice league than they did to the avengers yeah, yeah there was never true. an event i mean there have been avengers animated series but hey superhero been. squad yeah but they've never been up to the level of the justice league of like the the dc animated we've referenced shows. that weirdness Look, twice now <laughs> we we do an entire show about the mcu but if you haven't gone out and watched some of the best D, or, uh, dc animated movies oh yeah they are fantastic. If you haven't seen Batman Under the Red Hood, stop what you're doing right now and go watch that movie because it is whoa, whoa, phenomenal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen no, to this podcast. What, yeah. <laughs> stop and what then. you're doing after. <laughs> after you listen to this podcast. <laughs> God, Eduardo's trying to like scare well, We already you got your right? download, so uh... Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Ooh. We've already got your we've already got your listen. Who do we Okay, no, please, please keep listening to the show. Got him. So let's get into the movie. Hopefully you've watched this movie recently if you're listening to this. Our intention is for the audience to be be watching the show with us, or the movies with us, excuse me, and be able to sort of picture these scenes in their head. Now, as far as this movie is concerned, most of you have probably seen it probably a hundred times like the rest of us. But if you have it, we'll go through it piece by piece. So we start off kind of like a voiceover in space and we then end up at a shield facility that's in the desert uh where we find nick fury and we meet fury's lieutenant maria hill or as i like to call her agent colson's replacement um (laughs) (laughs) and one of us here isn't a big fan of uh of ye old robin sherbatsky peaches what's we're going (laughs) <laughs> we're going right away okay going on with robin Scherbatsky over here listen okay if you've seen this movie you will immediately understand what i'm talking about so i i really like kobe smothers mostly because of how i met your mother thank you like it's it's, it's smolders whatever i don't i don't have to know her how to say her name <laughs> i just like her okay she's great in how i met your mother but they she didn't need to be in this movie. I think her role in this movie is to be a parrot on the shoulder of Nick Fury. Every line she says is just something that they use as a plot device to move along the plot. She asked most of her dialogue is asking him one line, one liner questions and him answering in a way that moves the story forward. And I just think that it's, really tacky and i didn't know how much i disliked that the first few times i saw the movie when the movie first came out i was probably too hype about all the other things i had just seen but re-watching it when you're trying to analyze this movie i just didn't want any scene with maria hill in it all of the best maria hill scenes are in the deleted scenes and bonus features she has um i'll let i'll let chris talk about this but she has a lot more character development in deleted scenes and one of the funniest bloopers in the blooper reel where she's just screaming about Coulson. Yes, that was You great. guys know which one I'm talking about? She's exactly. just like, Coulson! Yes. I will avenge you. Like, it's, it's the so funny. And they'll avenge you. But, like, if, if I want to watch Maria Hill, I'm going to just go to the blooper reel and the deleted scenes because I think her part is kind of a waste in the whole movie. It just kind of annoys me. So, I'm sorry. I just have some bias toward every piece of dialogue she has. It's a little harsh, I think. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it is. You know, so they brought in Maria Hill from the comics. She was a comic character first. And she was one, she was introduced as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, a high-ranking S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And the Avengers didn't quite trust her at first. 
And uh, I saw, I just pulled up a Wikipedia page because I'm not familiar with some of the early uh, use of, of Maria Hill in the comics. Uh, she thinks that the uh, the Avengers don't trust her. She doesn't trust the Avengers, but she earns Iron Man's respect when she ignores the president's orders to nuke an island while the Avengers are on it, which that sounds familiar. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, yes. But her presence outside the movie doesn't help me during the movie. Like, oh, I no, I understand. That... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build up some context. OK, I'm sorry. Because I'm sorry. no, no worries. It seems like there is a bit of an abandoned plot line here. And if you watch the deleted scenes yes. uh, that Peaches was alluding to, you'll see that uh, because there are a couple moments in the movie where she is questioning Fury's decisions uh, at the very beginning when they're evacuating the facility, uh, the project Pegasus facility, which remember that for several, several weeks from now when you go watch Captain Marvel, but uh, when they're evacuating the project Pegasus facility, uh, she's questioning like, hey, is this are we supposed to be doing this? And he has that great line about until such time as the world stops spinning, we'll act as though it intends to spin on. And then later on, she's questioning his decisions about the Avengers. Uh, the I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but the part about the uh, Coulson's uh, Coulson's cards, she's like, you know, those were in his locker. They weren't on his person. And like every step of the way, she's questioning him. And I think that, that that dynamic actually does come from the comics. She did become the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comics at one point. And there was some butting of heads between her and Nick Fury in that. And it seemed like they were thinking about maybe building that up. And then at the last minute, they decided not to do it because there was stuff filmed. The, uh, the uh, deleted scenes that Peaches was talking about were the opening and closing. It was actually going to be a frame story where... Maria Hill is answering to the Security Council, the World Security Council, debriefing them about it. And it starts off, she's talking about how horrible it was and what a terrible idea the Avengers were. And then at the end, it was she was going to reveal, and Fury was right. He was the only one that saw it was right. But then as she walks out of the room, Fury comes up and says, how'd that go? And she goes, oh, I tore India. They're going to probably give me your job in a couple of weeks. And he goes, okay. You should get a chair, you know, <laughs> and it looks like, yes, they were planning this all along. Like Fury's expecting to get fired for making the decisions he did. And he was setting up for a hill to take his place because she's the one one person left that he trusts. Um, and they decided not to go with that. Obviously, Fury is still the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. The next time we see S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So they just completely cut that. But then there are still those moments in there that seemed like they were feeding into that plot of Hill doesn't trust Fury. What did Fury do? Like they were setting up to look like the Avengers were a big failure. Uh, that was the whole premise. And the, yeah. I don't, no, they weren't. Uh, and just interesting. And the, you could see how a movie movies are made in the, in the editing bay, really. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, th when I was watching those scenes, I was almost like, why didn't you just put this in the movie? Like, it would have given her character the depth that it needed to be asking Fury these questions all the time. Because if you don't know that she becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comics or that she doesn't really trust him, like, I can't really tell that she didn't trust him. I just thought that she was a curious person. Like, she's just asking all these questions all the time. I, I just think develop that role further for her, like, give her that extra story development or just remove it from the movie i maybe that's too hard because they i think that's why they removed around. it though is because yeah. the the frame story at least because i think the frame story actually would have dragged down the movie and kind of given it a different tone that didn't work with yeah. the rest of what we had and at that point 
they they were leaving it ambiguous so they could go that route in the future if they wanted to but then they decided not to they tore down shield two movies later so yeah yeah and like the pacing in this movie is perfect i'm not really gonna question what was pulled out because like the pacing in this movie is perfect yeah they're there are very few deleted scenes that would actually improve the movie. There's a re- usually a reason that that movie is that that scene is deleted. Eduardo did not seem to agree with that. I don't think the movie is perfectly paced. I think it's a fantastic movie, but I don't think the movie is perfectly paced. We'll oh, wow. get to it. I, I think the helicarrier. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll long, get to that. But so, as far as Maria Hill is concerned, I guess I didn't notice it because I wasn't looking out for Maria Hill, mostly because she's just like another second tier character in the movie so i didn't pay attention to her that much she's like pepper Potts or a lamp she's you know she's, oh my god <laughs> oh that is you know? okay that's eduardo <laughs> she's i don't know she just she didn't it didn't stand out to me i don't know like think about pepper Potts in this movie i i know peaches you enjoy her role in this movie but i didn't find a point to it at all like i don't know why she's in the movie she's there to just make tony seem like a cool guy and then he then is not that nice to people afterwards. Like, at, is, at, is she the there to humanize of, him? At the risk of duplicating a joke we used in a, a previous podcast, she probably doesn't remember she was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's my that's where I stand on Maria Hill. Is I didn't give her that much attention because I was too busy focusing on everyone else around her. So. I was kind of fine with her being being sort of a, a plot device or moving the plot forward because I we needed somebody to do that. And I'd rather it be her than, you know, guy playing Galaga or a lamp. You shut your <laughs> mouth about guy playing Galaga. <laughs> now, we we then move on to see Eric Selvig, who, if you don't remember, he's uh, he was the professor in the movie Thor. He is experimenting on the Tesseract. And he says that the Tesseract has begun, quote unquote, misbehaving. We then get reintroduced to Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, who kind of alludes to the fact that, he doesn't allude, he kind of says it flat out, that the Tesseract is a doorway. And whatever's happening there must be happening from the other side. We then get to one of the best parts in the movie, in my opinion, where Loki shows up. And let me, I, I need to tell you about Loki because from the second to me that he stepped onto the screen, he stole the show, at least to me. His first line in this movie is so good. So good. He says, I am Loki of Asgard and I am burdened with glorious purpose. And you just, from the second he steps in, you know what he's about. He's in there, he's ready to conquer, and Tom Hiddleston does such a beautiful job of just delivering Loki's lines that you just yes. you just you just love it. It's hard not to just be infatuated with not Tom Hiddleston himself, but with the way he is portraying this character. Uh, and even the, the the following line where they're they're talking about how he doesn't have a problem with them, and he's like, a bo- uh, "Ant doesn't have a problem with a boot or <laughs> whatever the, no the line is." Have a core with a boot. <laughs> yeah. Right there, you go. The, the lines are just delivered so, so well. Part of that is because he's, I, I believe he has some, some Shakespeare in his background. Oh, I know he has yeah. um, some stage play in his background. And so a lot of that is, is, is put into the character Loki. And he just, if there is another character besides Robert Downey Jr. that played the perfect character, it is Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Oh, I know absolutely. we've talked about, we've talked about Chris Evans. We've talked about Robert Downey Jr. But Tom Hiddleston as Loki just, he just has this habit of stealing the screen, stealing the show whenever he's on there. 
And this is the point in the history of the MCU, talking retrospectively, where you remember people used to write little think pieces or blog posts and stuff about, you know, the the Loki problem where, you know, when Loki's not on screen, there's not a compelling villain in the MCU. At this point, that's bogus. But that started because of how good Loki was and because he absolutely drove this movie as a really, really, really compelling villain. And that's what this needed because there was a lot of things that needed to go right for this movie to work. And I think overwhelmingly what we're going to discuss, you know, in these episodes is, holy crap, this movie worked and worked great. And part of why it worked great is they got the villain right. Um, They not only pulled an iconic Avengers villain, like a day one Avengers villain from the pages, but they got his dialogue right. They got his acting right. Um, Tom Hiddleston pulled it off perfectly. And yeah, he was great in Thor. And it was important that he bring that to a next level of sinister in this movie, like saying, you know, does an ant have a quarrel with a boot? And he did it in this and and just absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I I agree with you. He's really important to this. Yeah, I saw an interview with Kevin Feige from around the time that Avengers came out, might have been shortly after. And before they had the story, they had the villain. He said he knew that the first villain was going to be Loki. That was he wanted to harken back to Avengers number one very specifically. He was like, I want Loki to be the one that brings the team together for the first time. And yes, that was clearly the right choice. He just also the- like about you know what else I like about him real quick is that. I mean, I guess just this movie in general, but specifically with Loki, you don't have to have seen anything else to enjoy his performance in this. Like his Robbie already said this, that his performance in both movies is great, but it's just so cool that you can watch Avengers like I did having almost none of the prior context. The first time you see it and everything still makes sense, including how great Loki is, or you can watch it with all the context and it's, you know, that much better, but he just pulls it off so well. I, I I also enjoy every moment that he's on screen. And and that's true for a lot of characters in this movie. Through the first few minutes of this movie, everyone gets just a pitch-perfect introduction. They all get little scenes that are compelling, that introduce you to the character, that don't weigh down the movie. Like, that that was another one of the things that we were very uh, concerned about when this movie was being made. Like, you can't actually put all these characters in a movie. How are you going to give them time? How are you going to introduce them? And instead, well, okay, they did it perfectly. You know, in in a brief snippet, you know what Banner's about, and you know what Steve Rogers is about. And you especially, if you're a fan of the character prior, not only do you know what they're about, but you're geeked that they got it right. That, that, oh my Mm -hmm. god, this is actually the Hulk on screen. This is actually Loki on screen. And it's just done so, so perfectly. Everyone gets great. Not just Loki. Everyone just gets that great introductory moment at the beginning that keeps the movie, the film moving but also introduces you to them. And it's just, it's all pulled off brilliantly. Look, I am going to continue to talk about how much Loki is great as we go through this. And I could probably sit here talking for another hour, but we've got lots more movie to get. Loki Mm -hmm. cast. Loki cast. So Loki ends up stealing the Tesseract and he uh, mesmerizes, if you will, both um, Barton as well as Selvig. And a few of the shield agents as well gets his own little his own little crew together and they escape out of this facility. That's when we we get that 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 scene where 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 Fury is, is basically saying you know let's let's get let's bring the band together right. And at this point we cut to uh, Natasha who is in that chair 
and she's getting interrogated by I, I'm assuming they're Russian generals um, and they're she she's essentially playing the victim and at one point one of the guys gets a call on his phone and it's Coulson and he's telling them that they've got like a some sort of fighter jet ready to blow them to smithereens and to put her on the phone and she's talking about how much of an idiot they are and she's like she's like tied to a chair at this point this she's like I've got them- me everything right <laughs> I love this it's scene. a great Everything. scene. See, I told you, I, everyone gets a great introduction. I, you know, and, and Chris, uh, you can tell Angela this, but Angela, uh, and I think Robbie echoed this as well, during the last movie, um, or maybe it was Iron Man 2, how they talked about, you guys, they had talked about how that was Black Widow's best performance. To me, this is Black Widow's best performance. To me, this scene and another scene later on with Loki are her two just knock it out of the park she's performances great in this movie she she's really is phenomenal yeah having you, rewatched you, it i might abandon my opinion and agree with you yeah <laughs> you know who would agree with you is my mother actually because going into this movie she she's never really cared for scarlett johansson as an actress but she left avengers she goes i liked her in this like she was good in this so whether that's the writing the performance just all of that yeah she was a big fan of that um, one more thing I want to say as much as I love the scene that it, it's a great showcase for a uh, uh, Black Widow's fighting style but I think what makes that scene is the cutaway to Coulson just sitting there bobbing his head like he's on hold yep yes I wanted to say that I thought the fight scene was just as entertaining as the one in Iron Man 2 and also I don't have experience being whipped in the face by someone's hair but I feel like it's a little bit exaggerated. In that fight. <laughs> it is. It is. We then move on to Kolkata, where Bruce Banner is laying low as a doctor. Uh, a small child convinces him to go heal her sick father, and then she jumps out a window. <laughs> and out from the shadows comes <laughs> Natasha Romanov to convince him to come and help find the Tesseract because he's an expert in gamma radiation. And the best way to find the Tesseract is to use, uh, it it emits a form of gamma radiation. So they want to use his expertise to find it. Also secretly, they want him to be the Hulk. So like, (laughs) it's a little bit of, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. (laughs) And I have a quick question about this just for, for the room. Cause we didn't, we didn't discuss this ahead of time, but it occurs to me very important retrospectively, also an entirely new Hulk from what we had seen. It's not Edward Norton. Yeah. Um, it's Mark Ruffalo. And like Thank at the goodness. time, <laughs> at the time, did that, did you guys care? Did that affect you in any way? Did you just um, accept it? Are we know, talking about our first watch through the movie or yeah, no? Yeah. Yeah. When you first saw this movie. For me, it was, I had heard that they'd recast him and I was like, well, it's a bit of a bummer that they couldn't get every single person from the other movies back. But I had also heard that Ed Norton had been, not the best person in the world to work with. So it's like, well, the, I'm sure this new guy will be fine. And for me personally, and I, I feel like some people might disagree. I'm a big fan of, of Ruffalo's Bruce Banner. Yes. He brings this, especially in this movie, he brings this great understated world weary sarcasm. And I think it's a great take on the characters. And he's, or, or someone who has learned to control the Hulk, which we actually did see at the end of the incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. He knows how to control the Hulk. Mm-hmm. But that means he's been able to keep the Hulk down and he still views the Hulk as a burden that he does not want to carry with him. And we find out later that he's gone to some very dark, very low places as a result of the Hulk. But 
he's also still out there. He's trying to do good. He's in a, he's in Calcutta where there is a lot of sickness and he is using his knowledge, his using one of his several PhDs uh, to assist people. <laughs> and Praise be to the sound Lord. I agree. I got but you, also, yeah. yeah but agree. also, to be fair for me, as you already know, I I didn't see The Incredible Hulk until after this movie. So I didn't have any clue who played Banner before this. So I just liked Marf, Mark Ruffalo. And I still do. He's he's one of my favorite characters in the movie. He's He's been consistently just entertaining. I would time. say I went in with the being annoyed that it wasn't the same actor and then... I think Ruffalo had said like three words when I stopped caring. <laughs> okay, I feel like I need to defend myself here. Go ahead. <laughs> mostly for you. There's been a lot of a lot of shade being thrown my way, and I need to set the record straight. No. So when I first watched this movie, and however many years ago it was, I was one of the few people, just like you three are the one of the few people that own Wii U's. I was one of the few people that liked the Incredible Hulk movie. Um and I left a little disappointed that I didn't get to see Edward Norton in there. I had just discovered some of his films. I think I had just watched Fight Club for the first time. Mm. I've already talked on the show about how much I had enjoyed him at the time. Yeah. I will say, in my notes that I wrote today when I wa- sat down and watched Avengers, I did write down that I enjoy Mark Ruffalo in this movie, and I've come around on him. Okay. Yeah! That being Sorry. said, I think Incredible Hulk... Edward Norton, Bruce Banner, and MCU Avengers Bruce Banner are two completely different characters. And to me, they just, they, they like, you couldn't interchange either one of them. Like, it, it wouldn't make any, it wouldn't make sense. I don't, like, I know that they're, they're playing it as the same character, but to me, the, the way the characters are played, it feels like two different characters. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. You know what? I when you just said that, I specifically thought of my big complaint from Hulk about how Ed Norton was like parkouring around the city faster than the SWAT team, and I really cannot picture Mark Ruffalo no. doing that. <laughs> no no offense very... to Mark Ruffalo, I just cannot picture him in that scene. Sure. No, they're very different, and I, I'm, I'm with you that I enjoy Mark Ruffalo now. As a retrospective, after watching all of the MCU. I have come around on Mark Ruffalo. Whoa. So you guys win, okay? This podcast is some sort of retrospective. (laughs) I guess assembly was required. (laughs) (laughs) Roll credits. (laughs) We then get basically just the end credit scene from (laughs) Captain America, the first Avenger, which is... Steve punching a punching bag and then being handed the folder that has all the information about the Tesseract and um, eventually he'll learn about the rest of the Avengers. Now, we, we get introduced back again with Coulson and Tony Stark along with Pepper Potts and Peaches, you really enjoy this scene and I want to hear you talk about it before I trash on it. Oh man, I'm getting too... Oh, wow. I'm getting two in-depth monologues in one episode already. This is crazy. No, I don't have a ton, I guess, to say about the scene between them. I just really like the introduction to Tony in this movie. I, oh, you jerk. I just want the world to know. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you out right now, Eduardo. Bailey just walked in the room 
and gave Eduardo an everything bagel with cream cheese on it. No, 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 no. This is not just an everything bagel. This is an everything bagel that she just drove back from New York City. This is not just any kind of everything bagel. I'm so <laughs> mad at you right now. <laughs> I have this like bagel lust right now. I know that's weird, but it's okay. So anyways, hashtag bagel lust. Um, <laughs> anyways, Tony's intro to this movie is just, to me, it's it's him and Gwyneth Paltrow just having really good chemistry in the scene. And I like the way that they talk to each other in the scene. I, I like that they always have something quippy to say back and forth to each other. They feel like they have really good chemistry. The, you know, this is 12% of your, uh, like you get Marvel callbacks in one conversation. Like, you know, this is 12% your building. And then later she says, I was having 12% of a moment, <laughs> right? 12% of a moment. And, you know, it sets up a future callback too, where Phil comes up the elevator, agent Colson, I'm sorry. And, uh, Pepper calls him Phil, and Tony replies by saying, Phil, uh, excuse me, his first name is Agent. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that the the way that they have this conversation is, you know, we already know Tony, and we know he's going to be in the movie, and they didn't need to show him, like, in depth, really, what he was doing with his life at the time. So it was cool to have this introduction to him just kind of flirting back and forth with the person that he cares about. And I, I just like it. It's entertaining. I think it's a really fun scene. Like you said, the it's very charming and witty and you get a sense of what their relationship has become since Iron Man two mm-hmm. and using it and using Coulson as the bridge from this to the, this scene to getting the team together for the Avengers makes a lot of sense because Coulson's first real big interactions in, in Iron Man were with Pepper. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we did see him with Tony as well. So they have that pre-existing relationship. So it makes a lot of sense for all of them to be there. You know what else? I wanted to ask you specifically about this, Chris, because yeah. I, I know that you are more into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. than all of us are. Um, yeah. And I and I watched the first three seasons, but I just don't remember. Mm-hmm. When they refer to him dating a cellist, yes. did that happen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? They did end up bringing the cellist onto Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, in, I thought so. Acker played her, yeah. Okay, that's just random. I just wanted to know because I was like, I swore I have seen something about this in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it was so long yeah. ago. Yeah, so. they, they actually ended up making an episode out of a couple throwaway lines in Avengers. And it was actually one of the... It, it, was, it was a pretty good episode, too. And you got to see the kind of life Coulson had outside of shield when he was allowed to have a life outside of shield. So sweet. There's going to be a lot of agreeing in this episode. I'm not going to agree on this part. though. <laughs> I, I don't think I could just don't see a point to pepper being there. I think I feel the way about pepper that you feel about Maria. I just don't understand why she's in the movie at all. She's I'm sorry. There this to movie just... has too many women for you guys. <laughs> okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe I would like her more. It doesn't have wasps, so it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It should have well, had No, wasps. I just want the women to be better represented. That's all. They des- Kobe deserved a better role in this film. Pepper deserved a better role than just being the fun love interest for five seconds. There you I go. I think ha, she literally exists in this movie just to give their drama to Tony Stark being in danger. And I guess that's also true. She tries to call him at the end, or he tries to call her at the end. Yeah, boy. I mean, and what it does is it makes it when you get to the end with Tony possibly sacrificing himself, it shows that yeah, he has something to lose here. Yeah, so but it, you didn't gives, have to show that any of the other people had something to lose, but you believed it. 
Yeah, but they also weren't about to die by flying through a wormhole. I guess, but at any point, any of them could have died. I don't know. I mean, like, I get what you're saying. I just, if she's going to be in the movie, put her in the movie. Don't just be like, all right, here's Pepperbots for three seconds. Yes, rescue armor. This movie. Let's go. Man, I would have been all for it. But hey, I understand why they they waited on it. But I'm going to stop disagreeing with you. Now, Robbie, this movie so far, after it has introduced us all these characters, um, it's it's sort of relentless, right? It just kind of just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds. And you would put something in here about how it just even when and when it's giving you room to breathe, it's it's compelling. Yes, and this is where you can yell at me about my opinion on the pacing. Um, <laughs> but this movie is just, and I've watched it so many times, and it just never lets up. And I mean that in a good way. The first scene ends up being. Really, really great dialogue. We've already discussed, you know, compelling uh, introductions of what S.H.I.E.L.D. is up to, to Loki's return to Earth, or I guess Loki's actually first appearance on Earth. He's not returning. He's He hasn't been here. And then goes into a great action sequence. Like, in the first few minutes of the movie, we have a pretty, pretty exciting action sequence. And then it just continues from there as we're introduced to the characters. Um, we get this great dialogue with each character. <clears throat> and the thing is, this movie allows you to breathe. There's there's great action set pieces, and then we step back from those action set pieces. But even when we're breathing, it's still compelling. There's nothing... I don't find a single moment in this movie boring. Even the best uh, action movies at some point have a point where I'm just rolling my eyes, wanting to get on with the plot. And this movie does not do that. It, it, it's just such great writing. And I know this is something we're going to talk about more. Um, but Joss Whedon is kind of a gross guy. I don't mind him being shunned from Hollywood. I He misfired with Ultron, but objectively, the dude can write a script. And he did a fantastic job, I think, of writing the script. And I, I, I just, every time I watch it and rewatch this movie, I'm on the edge of my seat like I'd never seen it before. Once again, I feel the need to defend myself because I don't, <laughs> I don't disagree that the, the pacing is good in this movie. I think, and maybe, and maybe I said the wrong word when I said pacing, but maybe let me explain myself and maybe we can see how it fits in there. I think the movie has some of the best set design and some of the worst set design together. I find the New York sequences, the Germany sequences, and anything that is not happening inside the helicarrier to be really compelling. And I find the helicarrier very boring. I can't wait to disagree with you so hard on this. Oh my God. I find, and maybe it's specifically the interior of the helicarrier. Because to me, the interior of the helicarrier is every control room ever. Eduardo. You gotta stop. People are gonna turn off the podcast. No, no. They need to hear what I have to say. I find it boring. It was a boring area. Like they there is a there's a bit of respite where they go to Germany and it's beautiful. Yes. And they're there at this opera house and and Loki's there and he's he's in like in a suit and then he has his helmet and all of that is fantastic. And then they go back to the helicarrier helicarrier and I'm bored again. Look. There are parts of it that I enjoy. I enjoy it coming out of the ocean. I think it's cool. I think it's cool to use the helicarrier in a fun way. But at some point, it just feels like every military base ever. It just happens to be in the sky. All right, now yell at me. 
We, we need to rename I, this podcast Disagree with Eduardo, the podcast. I agreed with him a lot a couple episodes ago. No, one episode ago. But, so first off, saying any anything ill about the helicarrier is outrageously offensive because I never thought I would actually see the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier in a movie. And in fact, I spent so little time engaged in this movie because, frankly, I had low expectations because I didn't think you could actually make a good Avengers movie that I didn't know the helicarrier was in it. And when you first saw the aircraft carrier, what I thought was, oh, wow, I'll bet you that's a helicarrier reference. That's all I thought. They're referencing the helicarrier. I did not actually think it was going to lift up and go into the sky, and the shield flipping helicarrier was actually going to be in a major motion picture that I was watching with my own two eyes. So anything you say bad about the helicarrier is wrong (laughs) by default. (laughs) Wow. You really mean 100% of the scenes you're bored by that are on the no, helicarrier? No, no, no. Okay. I think it's fun at times. I think I have a I have an issue with how long we're there, one. And two, some of the scenes can kind of get can get a little washed. I think for a movie that has such such striking scenes, like think of the Battle of New York, for example, that Germany scene that I was just talking about, there are certain scenes in this movie, even the scene where um, Thor and Iron Man are fighting in the woods, just the, the set pieces there are so interesting. Whereas the the helicarrier, after you get inside, is literally just a conference room. It's not there's nothing special about it anymore. It is literally just a room with people and computers. Like it doesn't it doesn't excite me like some of those other scenes do. I don't. I'm think... in a room with people and computers. <laughs> I don't. And you don't excite. Know me. that you're wrong about that. <laughs> I can say that I can't be objective about it because every scene in the helicarrier was me being a nerd saying, "Oh my god, they're on the helicarrier." Okay, I didn't care about helicarriers going in, so I'll be objective about it. You're wrong. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because what this movie... I mean, it's just... It's really interesting people saying really great things in conference rooms in the sky. (laughs) Yeah, but why can't it be interesting people saying interesting things in an interesting place? Why can't I have all three? The you helicarrier being greedy. is an interesting place. Yeah, okay, and that's that's where I, I'll get you there. Yeah, dude, you are—he is at level eleven right now. Yeah. You took him over the edge. I've never. Robbie is actually the Hulk. He has hulked out. Yep. Gamma Greg over here. Oh my god, yeah. I would love to get like a caricature drawn of us in like Avengers outfits, and I want to have Robbie hulking out. I want to see Star Spangled Chris over here. I want to see the Iron Peach. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know what I'll be. We'll figure it out. But I think Ant-Man. it'd be cool. Sure, the Ant Eduardo. will be the Antuardo. Antuardo. <laughs> Antony. Ant Mando. Okay. I've I've Sorry. committed enough sacrilege. I've, I'll stop besmirching the helicarrier that you guys are so fond of. <laughs> All right. You can tune back in now, listeners. This is the time you want to tune back in. He's right. he stopped. <laughs> Yeah. Now that we're done talking about the helicarrier, back at the helicarrier, <laughs> Rogers, Banner, and the sh- um, the rest of the shield agents are all there. They're on the helicarrier, helicarrier, and they reveal it to be you know the big helicarrier that Robbie was so jazzed about. And uh, can I interject with one one small point there, really quickly? Sure. No, I just think that it's I, I was weirded out by this scene, one part of this scene where. Steve comes out of the jet and meets Natasha. And then Banner was just like 
left alone on the helicarrier, like unsupervised. And when you see him, he's looking around like a lost child. Like all four of us have worked in a place where we have dealt with lost children before. And he looks like one of those. Like he's looking around like, well, my family left me. So I I guess I'm going to just stand here and panic. And it's just so weird to me to see him. Like I know he's worried about possibly hulking out or whatever. But like, why did they leave him there? Who who escorted him to that spot and left him there? Okay, I'm sorry. That's all I want to say. I do like, though, that when Steve meets Bruce. Yes. uh, He says, uh, Steve says to him, word is you can help us find the Tesseract. And Bruce says, is that the only word on me? And Steve says, only word I care about. And it's just such a great way. It's just showing the kind of person Steve Rogers is right there. Having not seen all. Captain America before I saw Avengers, that line was when I was sold on Captain America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Chris is zeroing in on the Captain America line. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> My favorite superhero. I also <laughs> like the scene w- between Cap and uh, and Coulson just before this where they're talking and Coulson is fanboying out about, about finally getting to meet Captain America, who he has idolized because Coulson is just a student of shield history and of superhero history and he's he is like the the comic book geek in the comic book universe and and just the this is when we finally get to see some of that man out of time stuff with captain america that we didn't really get to see in his own movie since that one was 99 percent set during world war ii when when he's when colson is explaining oh yeah dr banner was trying to create I was trying to recreate your superheroes, your super serum, and it didn't go so well for him. And he goes, yeah, but when he's not, when he's not looking out into that monster, he's like a Stephen Hawking and Steve just looks at him (laughs) and he goes, he's like a smart person (laughs) (laughs) setting up the everyone just everyday references that all of us get. Steve Rogers has not quite caught up to that yet. (laughs) And it's, Guy. And it's also fun to see Colson, who is completely unflappable, getting flustered around right. around Steve too, which is a lot of fun. I wrote that down, and I actually did not put it in the notes because I really thought that you were going to talk about it. So perfect, <laughs> got you. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Loki then meets with the mysterious other, who then explains that Loki's been given his spear and will be given an army, the Chitari, in exchange for the Tesseract so that he can conquer that world and whoever Loki is working for can conquer the universe. We then find out later on that it is, in fact, Thanos. What? Um, the Mad Titan what? himself? Thanos. <laughs> well, we move on to see Selvig telling Barton that he needs rare iridium for his experiments with the Tesseract. And Barton asks Loki to assist with the distraction. This is where we get that Germany scene that I was just talking about, where you have Loki who has this weird contraption in his hand, and he like sucks a dude's eyeball out of his own head. He like drills into a guy's face and sucks the eyeball out, and then that creates like a digital image for somebody else to for Barton to use, so he can get in and get the uh, the iridium. Uh, so that was kind of cool and really really. <laughs> Uh, really grotesque. Uh, we then move on to Loki. Who's, he's telling everybody to bow to him, that he he is um, kind of trying to assert his dominance on everyone. And we've got this really striking scene that I hadn't put in, but I wanted to talk about. It's the, the elderly man that stands yes. up. And um, I don't remember how the line is said, but there, there are is one always point... men like you. Okay, well, yes, yeah. that, that line I knew. Oh. I just didn't know the setup. But yeah, thank so... you for... <laughs> 
uh, well, Loki is in, he's telling everyone to kneel, and he's giving this grandiose speech about how it's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. You were born to be ruled. And he, he gets them all kneel and goes, is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? And then this old man stands up. And context, this is in Germany. And he stands up and he says, and he goes, you'll, and he goes, in the end, you'll always kneel. The man stands up and goes, not to men like you. Yes. And Loki says, Oh, that's what he goes. There, there are, are no, no men. Like there are no me, men yes. like me. And he goes, there are always men like you, which is Joss Whedon is gross, but he can write a script. The man can write dialogue <laughs> like nobody's business. Yeah. And not just everyone always, when you think about Joss Whedon dialogue, you usually think about like the quips and the jokes and everything. Right. But like he wrote, you know, the speeches that Loki gives, uh, the, this exchange right here. And then when Loki goes to kill them, uh, he, he goes, look to your elder, and let him be an example. And then Captain America jumps right in front of him and boom, that's the elder you're looking to as an example now, which I love. Oh, oh, that's clever. He just blew Robbie's mind. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Also, I also, is ahead. the subtext, do we agree the subtext is supposed to be that guy's a Holocaust survivor? Uh, I, I, or is he just either, someone that lives through Nazi Germany? I, I think it's either or. Uh, I never quite got Holocaust survivor out of it, but I def definitely got he survived World War II and was not sure. a fan of the Nazis. As you shouldn't be. Oh, you shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> I think so, about this scene a lot. <laughs> we then get a... Uh, we then get Loki fighting with Captain America before Iron Man arrives. Time out. And Loki... We get Loki fighting with Captain America. Right. Oh, How don't cool worry, Chris. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> Until Iron Man arrives, and is it Iron Man me? arrives? <laughs> is it just me, or is uh, we, we talk about how squeaky clean Captain America is? But there's like a little bit of little bit of hate, little bit of disdain when he when he he greets Tony, right? Like there's just a little yes. bit of there's a little bit of venom in him saying, "Oh, hey, Mister Stark," or something along those lines. Um, I think he just feels like you know when you're working on something and somebody comes in to help yes. you and it's like a nice gesture, but you had it like, you're like, I don't need you to do this for me. I think he just felt like he had it well, and he didn't need the assistance. Right. And, and he comes in at the last second, having not participated in anything prior and then just kind of pops in and, you know, you know, takes the you glory. And in all honesty, um, I find this whole scene, this whole Loki interaction and the scenes right after it, to be absolutely perfect for establishing a lot of the characters. Uh, and I'll also agree with, with Eduardo. Um, I disagree with you on the helicarrier. However, I do believe, <laughs> I do believe the Germany scene is the best scene in the entire movie. Um, the, the music is fantastic. The, the strings are fantastic. Loki's mm. appearance. It's so cool to actually get to see him do something villainous in the movie. Like, and yeah, okay. He leads an army in New York and he stabs a dude who gets brought back from the dead. Like, but those are all kind of not, you know, the grounded and believable villainy that you get here of him just strolling in and killing the guy and yeah. scaring people and then trying to kill another guy. So we do establish Loki as a villain. We're done with this gorgeous setting with this great music um, in a great scene. And then we get just like Chris just freaked out about we get Captain America punching Loki and vice versa. Like that was just so cool to actually see. It was so cool. 
and and the 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 whole line of the you know the last time I was in Germany and saw a man standing above everyone else, he and I ended up disagreeing and just oh my god, it's so good. Um, but then then Iron Man gets introduced in the perfect way possible. Like yeah, you're talking about there's that a little bit of venom between the two of them, but the introduction's perfect. Like it works for the character and it starts establishing those two's relationship right there. The first time they're ever on screen together, we get in their first actual interaction we get how they feel about each other, just like that. And then we get a little bit more of that in the Quinjet, and then we get Thor appearing with the Thunder, um, and, and and Loki's whole, you know, I'm not overly fond of what happens next. Just in these brief few moments, we get such perfect characterization of everyone, and it's done in, in great scenes as well. We It's done with such great, um, great visuals and great music and a great action segment. I just, I, if there's something, the one part, that I rewatch in this movie. If I don't have time to rewatch this whole movie, I just want to watch a scene I like. It ends up being the Germany scene. We, we he also has to get... change his pants three times <laughs> when he watches that scene. When Iron Man shows up, we get to hear his light motif. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Shoot to thrill by ACDC. Yes, <laughs> which I didn't realize I until <laughs> this retrospective had been used in Iron Man Two as well. It's right. <laughs> It's such a it's such a Tony thing to do how he just kind of hijacks the audio and oh and kind of comes and the look in. on Nat's face too <laughs> and also there is more uh, more Captain America stuff because now I'm going to start sounding like Chris I think it's important uh-huh. that he's this is the first time he's ever faced someone out of his weight class like Red Skull was kind of his equal but he's never faced someone he's never faced a literal god before and he doesn't he doesn't even flinch he doesn't back down he just tries to take down Loki. It doesn't matter that Loki outclasses him. Um, and then we get the, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that line, which is... Oh my God, a what line. a great line. That's such a good line. This movie Every line so in that Quinjet. Good. Yes. Every line in that Quinjet. Tony, we need a plan of attack. I have a plan. Attack. <laughs> With that little, that look over the shoulder where you can just see the corner of his eye glowing, and then he mm-hmm. just jets out. Like, and oh, you see how different Iron Man... You see how different Tony's approach is to what Steve's approach is and right. how different they are. And you're already seeing how the hell are these guys ever going to get to work together? Right. And you get and what what I think makes it even better is the fact that even though they had never met before, they have a pre-existing relationship in a way. Uh, you have Steve has read up on all these people that have been recruited for the Avengers initiative. He He's read up on Banner. He's read up on Nat. He's read up on Stark. And not only that, he knew Howard. He knew Tony's father. Like, they were very close back in the day. And Tony is completely aware of of Steve's existence. And we get that line a little bit later where he's complaining to, I guess he's, I think he's complaining to Bruce about about Steve. And he goes, this is the guy my dad never shut up about. (laughs) And uh, so you get the sense that all of a sudden, for the first time ever, you, you see... We've always seen Stark as having this huge ego, and now we're seeing his ego wounded because this is the big brother that he never met and whose shadow he always had to live in. Yep. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot more in there than I like thought. That. Yeah, same. There's a lot more in there than I ever thought. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There's yeah. a reason we're doing this one in two parts. <laughs> oh, and also, after, after Cap follows him out of that Quinjet and he jumps out, that camera angle on his jump is so cool where he comes out and he does like, you know, his moves in the air and then he dives straight at you. Like you, he dives straight at the camera. Mm-hmm. You guys remember yes. that? Yeah. I just think that it was shot really well. 
Yeah, yep. this is this is the movie that taught me that Joss Whedon wasn't just a good writer, but he could actually direct, and he directs. He does some really interesting camera angles, and the action sequences for someone who had only directed one big movie before this, and it wasn't even that big of a movie. Uh, you know, he he does a really good job with some of the later action sequences. I thought we can all agree that Germany's yes. awesome, right? Yes. The whole the whole scene in Germany's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. And then we start getting introduced to some of the Avengers. We've already talked a little bit about it, but um, after they capture Loki or Loki surrenders, um, we then get a lightning storm. We get this fun line about how Loki doesn't like what comes after the thunder. And we get Thor showing up and ripping Loki from the ship and taking him with him. We then get a really, I think, a really powerful scene between Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston where he's begging, he is begging Loki to come home with him. And Loki is so cold. And once again, Tom Hiddleston uh-huh. just plays it absolutely perfect. And we, we get this really powerful scene. And then, oh man, I don't remember what the line is where, where Iron Man oh, takes Tony. Thor says, you listen Tony. well, brother. And <laughs> Iron Man all of a sudden flies in. <laughs> and Loki just without missing a beat, I'm listening. And four is gone. <laughs> um, but yeah, that scene is. I watched it today, and it's so that, funny. Uh, that scene is so great. I, I talked about this a bit when we were gushing about Loki in the Thor episode, but the just the relationship between Thor and Loki is so good, and just Thor trying to appeal to his brother that he grew up with, and not getting through, and how much that hurts him is. Well I think the reason that's so evocative and so well done is because of how well Tom Hiddleston does in the role and how we as the audience want the same thing that Thor mm-hmm. does. We want to see the Loki redemption story. We want to see Loki turn the corner, become the hero. And he never does. Remember you said so we that. Want it. We want it. No, keep going. And then. And we want, we want to see it. We want to see him become the hero that we all know he can be. And even through all the way through Ragnarok, all the way through infinity war, he never finally at the, I think at the end he makes the ultimate sacrifice and he sort of becomes that hero that we all thought he could, but we don't ever actually get to see it to its real yeah. fruition. I'm um, glad you said and that. It's, it's sad. And I, because I Go knew ahead. you guys were going to say that. And it's something I want to challenge in the next episode, but I want you to remember that I want to challenge you on that. It's challenged. <laughs> you mean in Avengers, Part yes. two. Okay, I was like, I don't know. I was, uh, I was, I was like, like gonna make any sense in Iron Man three. In this film, in this <laughs> film, and you're, you're gonna know where I'm going with this, but I want to okay. challenge you over why we actually like Loki and want him to be redeemed. Okay. I don't think that's a challenge. I think that's an agreement. No, no, challenge. no. I want to no, challenge you on why you do. Oh, he has a different reason. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Or I, I disagree with you. Or either way. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. I mean, if if you, the listener, want. To find out, you're going to have to listen to the next episode of Assembly Required, Avengers Part 2. Oh, snap. Wow. Good job. But this isn't the cliffhanger yet. Shameless self-advertisement. Yeah, Yeah, we're not there yet, though. We've got a little bit more to get through. We... we, we... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just want to tell them a lot, you know. Just pepper it in. Pepper Captain America breaks up a fight between Iron Man and Thor, and this is such a cool scene Mm -hmm. um, with Iron Man, Thor, and Cap here. And Cat being sort of the voice of reason in the uh, in the Avengers. Are you okay? I just started thinking about the dialogue and I started laughing. <laughs> Doth mother know you weareth her nope, drapes? Bad idea. He loves his hammer. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to put the hammer down? God, what a cheesy. 
so put the cookie are, are down. We, <laughs> are we going to talk about the fact that Thor tried to kill Captain America? He tried to kill both yeah. of them, dude. He really did. They're just but humans. He was going for murder. But also, that scene is also great. Also, that lightning thing where Thor supercharges Iron Man's armor, that happens in Avengers 1. Yes. Yes. No, no, sure no, did. the comic. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. okay. Not in a fight, but it, it's done intentionally. But yeah, he does that in the first issue of Avengers. That makes so much more sense than when we thought you were saying, that thing that happened in this movie, that happened in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That, I, I think that fight scene was just really yes. well choreographed. I mean, it's it. You wouldn't think that Iron Man would stand a chance whatsoever against a god. I mean, he is powerful in the armor, and it shows. I think partially it's because Thor's kind of caught off guard because he's like, "Why am I fighting this guy that's wearing a this tin metal can? man? What's happening? Right, <laughs> right metal man, and." You know, he just like tried to make fun of me, but I probably don't really understand the reference. <laughs> what what's going on? And you know, they get kicked through trees, yeah. dude. Like Iron Man kicks Thor through a tree, and Thor comes back and lightnings him, and then like he eventually, you know, picks him up and slams him on the ground, and then Tony like jets out from underneath. I'm like, there's just so many yeah. cool things. Well, in that and fight something scene. that struck me on my rewatch up to the episode was how much it was well choreographed that Iron Man is using his ability to move with his repulsors to get leverage on Thor. Like they don't just have him, you know, they don't just say, well, their weight class is the same right now. He's specifically fighting him creatively using his repulsors to move around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Cause true. it's a so, good fight scene. Something that happens in this way, we mentioned it and I always had sort of a pet theory about it and it may or may not be true. I don't know, but the way, the, that the Asgardian lightning supercharges his suit. I always thought that was because the arc reactor is based on the Tesseract. It was Howard's attempt to try to recreate the Tesseract's energy capabilities. And the Tesseract being an Asgardian artifact as well, I always assumed that there was some way that they were together. Now, with it ended up being an Infinity Stone and all that, maybe not so much because we didn't find out it was an Infinity Stone until a couple movies later. Uh, but that was always my thing. But it was also two two really cool things that happened in this fight scene that I had been waiting for them to pay off, and I expect them to do it in the third act. I thought they were Chekhov's gun, and no, they actually didn't show up until later movies. But it was him powering up Iron Man's suit, and uh, the really cool thing where when he goes to put the hammer down and Cap holds up his shield, and it creates that shockwave that levels the forest, and you see what happens when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. And I was like, oh, they're <laughs> definitely going to use that to mow down some Chitari. And then they didn't. Oh. Um, but then I think they actually did. They did some combo attacks in Age of Ultron. Yes. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to see more, more combo attacks. That's my favorite thing about superhero team. Ups. You should play Marvel ultimate Alliance three. Yes. Yes, I should. Maybe this is a dumb question about that scene, but do you think that, Mjolnir interacting with the shield is more of a demonstration on how strong the shield is, or do you think it has something to do with Cap's worthiness as a person? Oh, I think I, because of course I think we find vibranium. out later that he can wield it. I think it's just showing so? off how strong vibranium is. That was my take on it. it was okay. like, hey, that's I kind of, kind I kind of, of go both ways on it. What'd you say, Eduardo? 
I said Wakanda forever. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that, well, I mean that could be. I mean, that's. So. I had not thought wrong. about that, but yeah, maybe Mjolnir can't be used against someone who is worthy to wield it. But I always just took it as so Cap- what happens when you hit vibranium, the greatest metal in the yeah. world. Cat flies in. He breaks up the fight. We then head back to the helicarrier. For a great scene. And- <laughs> You're tearing this family apart. <laughs> and our heroes begin to sort of interact. Loki is placed in the cell that is, uh, it's meant to contain. We find out it's meant to contain the Hulk but it is currently being used to contain Loki, and with a push of a button, it can be sent down, plummeting 22,000 feet. Ant. Uh, boot. boot. <laughs> we then get a lot of interactions between some of these characters that we haven't seen too much interaction from before, and Chris, you wanted to talk about some of these interactions, some of the some of the, the, the dialogue yeah, that happens because uh, my biggest disagreement with you, and I was holding back because I knew you were going to bring it up later, because this was one of my big points, is that... As great as the team-up superheroes are, and I just was gushing about the team-up stuff there, my my favorite scenes are where it's just the Avengers interacting. And this and the party scene in Age of Ultron, as much as people don't necessarily care for that movie, scenes like that just make me want to watch a full movie of the Avengers hanging out. Because they're just <laughs> characters that work so well together because of their similarities and because of their differences. I, I would watch a whole movie that's just them talking. Slice of my life. dinner with Avengers. the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. That's, that's, that's literally. About, uh, that's how I feel about the Stranger that's, Things yeah. kids. Oh, yeah. I just absolutely. want to watch a movie about like, them just like hanging out. I don't care. I want to watch, like, watch them do a whole session of d and I know. Well, Where no real honestly, Demogorgons show up. That's literally what Web of Spider-Man was created as. It was supposed to be the... Originally, it was supposed to be more of Peter Parker's like personal life and the people he interacts with than than peter parker so marvel has a history of doing that sort of thing interesting yeah yeah see i, I would watch a movie about that or oh, a absolutely. disney plus series or whatever however they want to give it to me i will consume that uh giggity but yeah the the <laughs> this scene in particular where we get and i'm just gonna keep on moving uh <laughs> the, we get where tony walks in where Bruce is going on some techno babble, and then Tony walks in and responds in kind, and they have a little science bro moment there. And Tony says, finally, someone who speaks English, and Steve just goes, is that what just happened? <laughs> and then Tony walking by Thor and says, no hard feelings, you got a mean swing point break. And just all these little interactive moments. Thor getting a... Uh, <laughs> Bruce saying that Loki's mind is a bag full of cats and you can smell the craze on him and Thor getting offended saying he's of Asgard and he is my brother. Nat saying he's killed 80 people in two days and Thor just going, he's adopted. adopted. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very controversial line line, if you remember. There was actually some controversy about that line afterwards because there were some people who took it as saying that being adopted is bad, uh, which I did not see that as being the point of that line. no. It was very similar to if you've played Portal 2. There are very similar jokes in that vein that people were upset about. I don't remember and, those jokes. Oh, GLaDOS. GLaDO, uh, sidebar, we're going to talk about Portal 2 now. Good. It's where... We've got time. GLaDOS, we've got time. Or, 
we when Wheatley becomes uh, takes over the facility and he's trying to insult the insult shell the way that Glados used to, and he calls her fatty fatty no parents, <laughs> and uh, oh. uh, you know, adopted fatty 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 no parents and Glados says and what's wrong with being adopted, and then she whispers shell for the record you are adopted and that's terrible. <laughs> Oh my god. But in that one it's these people are supposed to be terrible. Being adopted is not a terrible thing. These are villains who are saying that. Right. And in the point right. in the point of Thor and Loki, it's Loki trying to say, Okay, well, but but he didn't get that from from me. You know. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, like he's my brother, but you know, when I, and, and then and then Loki pulls that on him in Ragnarok as well. Uh, but just all the all the interactions Fury coming in saying, and then he turned, you know, I want to know how he turned these people as personal flying monkeys. And Thor going, monkeys? I don't understand. And then Steve going, I did. I understood that reference. Just every, every little <laughs> thing. And just watching all these characters who should not be together coming together and it working so brilliantly. I just just love the dialogue in this. And I, I already talked about how much Loki has great villain dialogue too. Uh, there's snappy banter. There, There's real pathos there everything it's it's just so well written it is such a great script that okay, man is playing galaga thought we wouldn't notice thought we wouldn't notice and a shout but out to did. my favorite arcade game this is the best movie ever <laughs> okay okay but hear me hear out you. here say they did all of these scenes but instead of being in the helicarrier they were in like an active volcano or <laughs> somewhere uh... else really cool <laughs> Can you play Galaga in an active volcano? If there's an office in there, they did it in The Incredibles. Uh, I'm just... Urge <laughs> to kill Ryzen. Right, I won't talk about the helicarrier anymore. <laughs> I won't talk about the helicarrier anymore. Okay, okay, okay. I do want to... going to come visit you, buddy. I want. I would love literally anyone to come visit me. Please. <laughs> I'm so alone. What am I? <laughs> I'm not visiting right now. Okay, come visit me again then. <laughs> oh. um, Both correct. Yeah. I want to echo what you said about the dialogue because as I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, this is where they really started to get this like dialogue feel between the two. And then I started thinking about, wow, how this is literally just Joss Whedon's fingerprints just all over this. It is, it is his, the, the quips, the, the, the funny, the, the dialogue, it's all, it's all him. And I don't know if either of you or any of you, excuse me, not mm-hmm. either, there's three of you. I don't know if any of you have seen, um, either any of you watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel, I have, Angel Firefly, um, I've Dr. Seen, like, Horrible Singalong Blog. Firefly. <laughs> Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. Of, yeah, a bunch of Buffy, yeah. And Not all of it. A lot of the humor is like beat for beat exactly the same. A lot of the like comedy beats are very, oh, yeah. very, very similar. And even as Joss Whedon leaves the MCU, his lineage kind of continues on throughout the rest of the MCU because they kind of keep a lot of his sort of comedic beats throughout almost every other MCU. Yeah, I, I remember when they announced that he was going to write and direct the Avengers. I got so excited because I was like, Joss Whedon is going to be writing dialogue for Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. And I was like, this is going to be great. I was like, this is everything I've wanted <laughs> because I just thought that was such a great fit. He was like, he was like up on a mantle for me for that year because right before Avengers was Cabin oh, in the yeah. Woods. Cabin and the that's Woods. my that's favorite great. horror movie yeah, of all time. Yeah, movie. Which also starred uh-huh. Chris Hemsworth, um, so it was like, oh, this guy's the best. Like he was right up there for a long time yeah. around this this period. And yikes! Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun. 
I mean, if we're going to allude to it so much, we might as well just briefly touch on it so that anybody who is listening is aware of, of everything that happened with Joss Whedon. I say this mostly because I don't actually know what you oh, guys are okay. talking about. And okay, I want so Joss Whedon. And, and here's the, here's the, here's wow. the interesting thing about Joss Whedon <laughs> is that for the longest time he was... Okay, so who here has watched Parks and Recreation? Everyone. You know yes. the episode where Ron Swanson wins man of oh, wins mean. woman of the year? Mm-hmm. That was Joss yes. Whedon because it was like, oh, Joss Whedon, he's such a great feminist. He's He writes strong female characters. And, and you know, Buffy, great example. Mm-hmm. You know, but there, there, people have pointed out that there are some aspects of his work that are maybe not as forward thinking as as maybe they should be and you know some of that is with hindsight and things change over the years uh people brought it up and this is something we can talk about more about in the age of ultron episode but a lot of people had some issues with how he wrote natasha in that movie Mm -hmm. after she was great in this movie i thought and she ends up becoming a very a very important member of the avengers in this film and i thought that he did a great job with her but then it came to light about a year or two ago that he was having an affair. Like he was cheating on his wife uh, with multiple people that he was wooing using the fact that he was Joss Whedon, basically. Uh, you know, these girls that worked on his show or whatever. And he was and he kind of came out and was like, yeah, you know, I, I got these girls. I. He, he tried to make it kind of about himself saying, oh, I had my low self-esteem and they had their low self-esteem and I was able to make myself feel better. And it's just very creepy and gross whenever men use their positions of power to take advantage of women, whether the whether it's consensual or not, that is highly inappropriate and not what you would expect out of someone who was praised as a feminist icon for so long. Right. Uh, it's not the most salacious yeah. Agreed. Hollywood yeah, downfall of all time. In fact, I think not not defending he's got a show it coming out on right, HBO right. too. Not defending it, but compared to yeah. some of the other stuff we get from Hollywood, it it barely registers. It's just that it's disgusting, in particular because it's someone that acted like they were better than that. And yeah, someone who used to he used to tout his own feminist credentials, yes. and then turns out that oh, he's he's also yes. a gross man. Uh, not that all men are gross, but he is one of the gross ones, unfortunately. Right. And it was disappointing because you expected better from him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, He's only like semi-canceled compared to some for... other people, but... <laughs> right, yeah. you are fully canceled. Got it. Okay, so that clarifies it for me and any audience member who is also as yeah. confused as I was. Um, so... <laughs> If for anybody listening, when we talk about Joss Whedon's great work on this film, we're not advocating him as a person. We're just looking at his his yes. work objectively. Agreed. Find a segue, Eduardo. Do it. I Find a segue. Agree. I'm the only one that has yeah. yet. Yeah. Get us out of that one. <laughs> so speaking of objectifying women, oh my god, talks to Black Widow. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> segue. <laughs> Wow. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm impressed. Y'all, that's why I'm the host of this here show, all right? Because wow. of stuff like that. You can send all donations to <laughs> squadapatreon.org.net. This is why I'm your only patron. Um, and... <laughs> no, we have two. 
Now, Black Widow uh, sort of interrogates Loki in a similar vein that she did earlier with the Russians, where she sort of she pretends to be the victim. She pretends to be her. She sort of extracts information. And this scene, I think, is fantastic. One, because of Loki once again. And two, because of Black Widow. She just does such a good job. And credit to Tom Hiddleston for that moment where he realizes that she, like, had been playing him the whole time. He sold it perfectly. He looked perplexed about what had just happened to this him. This scene, yes. Because well, he's the trickster god. She right. tricked the trickster. I never made that connection. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I never made that connection. <laughs> she tricked him. That's how good she he is. He shouldn't be able to be tricked. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she just goes in there and puts, like, you know, halfway through his monologue, she puts on the, like, puppy dog eyes. Like, she's about to burst into tears and turns around. Like, I can't even look at you right now. And he is, like, feeding into it so hard. Like, she yep. This is the scariest him, Loki dude. is yes. in the entire series yes yep and that scene i remember when i first saw it that scene making me uncomfortable like feeling it it, i got baited just like loki because i'm watching that scene feeling really upset and really first off being upset about her being treated that way and second being upset that she was that weak and and uh, malleable and like you know oh okay they wrote her as a weak weak boring character and then when she turns heel on him, I basically had the same feeling as Loki. Of, oh my god! Uh huh. That said, I do have a, I have mixed feelings on the scene because it is great and she is great in it, and it is one of the, it is maybe the best Black Widow scene in the entire MCU. But at the same time, what of value does she actually gain? What what does knowing that he's going to try and manipulate the Hulk from his cell actually? First off, isn't that duh? Second, what are you going to do about it? I'm d- you can't see me, Robbie, because you're not in Discord oh. right now, but I'm doing praise <laughs> hands for you right now because I I feel the same way. Like, it's a great monologue by Loki. It's a great interaction between both of those characters. But then she's like, oh, you planned on unleashing the Hulk. Okay. And then even when the Hulk is unleashed, it's not like, Loki did all that much. The team right. that came to the helicarrier did all the work. So it's like, why didn't knowing that information didn't change anything because they never put Bruce in a cell. Right. They just went and had an argument. Okay. Like as a team. I disagree with this and Chris back me up here, but <laughs> oh, no. I just assume Chris right. is going to be on my side on this. And I, I, I hope he is, but isn't the point that they, the staff was influencing them all that it was, it was, drawing out some of their emotions and when they're all arguing cat or uh, natasha she's there she's trying to plead with them saying hey guys it's the yeah. staff it's not you it's not what you think it is and she like it is working. just because her plan no, doesn't work doesn't mean it didn't and i'm not saying it's doesn't it didn't, didn't work try. it's that i'm saying that just wasn't super valuable information and maybe maybe that's partly well because they knew the whole time they they alluded to it and they also directly called it out before this scene that loki was trying right. to get all of them mad at each other cap cap says it when they're having the discussion um with tony and bruce when they're in the lab talking about the shield secrets that they're trying to infiltrate and cap says it right. to them like this is what loki wants he wants yeah. to divide us we need to follow orders right they already it know that Loki's like trying to mess ri- with them. that whedon had this great interaction written between black widow and loki but didn't know what she could actually discover from the interaction that would be particularly helpful to the team. 
um like like i feel like if she had been able to discover that like the staff could be used to stop the portal or something like that it would have been better um or if she had manipulated him to finding out where the tesseract is but i guess it's written he doesn't know where it is um because like yeah also is that what she went in there for did she go into that room to find out oh he's gonna manipulate someone who maybe the most dangerous guy like i don't i don't it's a really really (laughs) great scene but it does not hold up to my her manipulating him holds up to scrutiny the importance of her manipulating him doesn't if that makes sense i i i I kind of see where you're coming from though it's and let me let me let me just, <laughs> let me just... it's one of those things they call it fridge logic where yes. it makes sense when you're watching it and then later later on in the night when you go to get a drink for the fridge you go hang on a second wait what was happening there yes <laughs> eduardo what's what's your i'm, I'm curious to hear you because that is actually is something i've always been like okay i get like if you had asked me i would have to think okay what information oh yeah that he wants to unleash the hulk uh but then it does feel like nothing really comes to it. I do feel like his plan was I'll get the Hulk to I'll, I'll unleash the Hulk and then they'll have to deal with that and then I can do whatever I want. And I, I think that is his plan. Is that what you're what you were going to say, Eduardo? Yes. So for the most part, the way that I see it is, yes, that, that that's the information that's trying to get across. And I don't think she knows. I don't think anybody knows that they're trying to unleash the Hulk at first. I think she's trying to figure out why he was so easy to, to be captured. She sees that he yeah. let himself be captured. Yeah, because even to Fury said why. he's and the only one that wants to be here. And that's when it clicks to her. And then, right, and that's when it clicks to her. And that's when she goes to try to, like, get Bruce out of there. And then at that point, yeah. that's when he everything kind of spirals out of control. So it all makes sense to me. Also, I don't think it's fair that you guys are saying this because I could think of 10 other plot points that probably don't make too much sense if I think about it long hold enough. Hold on, hold on. But that's what superhero movies are. They're a bunch of nonsense that don't make a lot of sense because if you think hold about on. it too much... It's not that I'm saying experience. it doesn't make sense. It's not that I think it doesn't make sense. Nothing in that scene, (laughs) everything in that scene makes sense. It's that she has this powerful moment, but the payoff, when you think about it, isn't actually that important. I I guess you could could argue, and I'm going to advocate for Eduardo here now, is that he's too far along in his plan. (laughs) You know, if she had found, if she had gotten that information a little bit earlier, then maybe they could have prevented something, but... He's already too far along. They don't realize that he also has people on the outside who are going to be able to get to the helicarrier to assist him in this. Also say she had figured it out earlier. All right. We didn't unleash the Hulk. We figured out Loki's plan and we captured Loki. Roll credits. Woo. (laughs) Movie's over, everyone. (laughs) You got to have things go wrong. Right. I think that's the point. I think it's the one show Natasha's strength to show how cunning Loki is, but also to show how not cunning Loki is at the same time, right? Like he is smart because of his plan, but he's all, it also shows that he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Um, and that's sort well, of a recurring he's capable yeah, of his... making mistakes. Sure. Possibly. Absolutely. He's got that yeah. hubris. And I think that scene serves a purpose, even if she is unsuccessful with her attempts to, to not unleash, to unleash their, to stop. I'm a little bit more on Eduardo's side in this argument. So uh, it's a draw. It's a draw. Ask him yes. about the helicarrier. Somebody agreeing with me for once. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that all happened on the helicarrier, Chris. Don't you like the helicarrier? I do like the helicarrier. Oh, boy. Uh, Moving right we along. We then get Banner 
losing his temper. He he goes berserk. All of the Avengers are yelling at each other, and we unleash the Hulk, and calamity ensues. And that's where we're going to leave this episode this week. Oh. Bum, bum, bum. Whoa. If you want to find out what happens next, that you can do one of two things. You can listen to next week's episode, or you can just go and rent or buy Avengers and watch the rest of the movie. But if you want to hear what and we then have hear to what say we have about to say. it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. We appreciate everybody who's been listening so far. Um, and thank you guys once again so, so much for listening to all these episodes. We're having a lot of fun doing these. And there are going to be a lot more shows to come. So that's going to do it for myself, for Chris, for Peaches, and for Robbie. At GatorSax2010, at D underscore Peaches, at PhilKid3, and at ABCDEduardo1. If you'd like to email the show, email assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Follow the show at AssemblyCast. AssemblyCast. AssemblyCast on Twitter and Facebook. AssemblyCast on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to follow our other show, the Squad Up Podcast, you can find that at Squad Up Podcast and Squad Up Podcast wherever podcasts can be found. That's going to do it for myself, for Chris, for Peaches, and for Robbie. We love you, 3000, everybody. LCR. See ya. To be continued. Catchphrase. Uh, Chris, what were you just saying? I think we were at a natural stopping point. We had just yeah. stopped, talked about. We just stopped game. talking about the Black Widow scene. Yeah. Okay. So you, cool. I think you can literally go on Damn. to and then Kolkata. That's why I, I got. That's why I got my last thought in on that because I was like, it. that'll be a good stopping point. Oh, I wanted to, to say? say something about that scene too. Oh, um, what did you want to say? No, it's okay. Like, no, we're not gonna go back for it. Yeah. I wanted to say that I thought the fight, I don't know what you said at all, but I wanted to say that I thought the fight scene was just as entertaining as the one in Iron Man 2. And also, I don't have experience being whipped in the face by someone's hair, but I feel like it's a little bit exaggerated in that fight. <laughs> it is, it is. I think you could say that. I think. I think it just did. Were we recording? Well, there we go. We're I already recording. Well, I just said some dumb stuff. <laughs> we right. always say dumb stuff, especially me. I'll just cut it out and make it sound natural. I'll there you go. Sound you can... Lord magic. <laughs> there you go. Woo-hoo-hoo. We then move on to Calcutta.